welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Schell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. Would you take out your Bibles and turn with me to, well, we'll be going to Romans 13. We're going through a, a series called Steps to, Free, to, to Freedom. Uh, we are going through the book of Romans, uh, and the daily Bible study there continues to progress along. But rather than just, just going with the text at this point, I am taking the, uh, what I think is the, the, the key message, certainly one of them, from Romans 1 through 8, is that Jesus Christ has come, forgiven our sins, so that God could give us the Holy Spirit to live inside of us. And with the Holy Spirit now, we can do what the, in the old covenant could not be done. What the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh. In other words, what God's Bible, giving you the right things to do, could not make us do because our flesh, the power of our bodies and the, 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 the temptations and all of the pressures that come on us cause us constantly to stumble. What we couldn't do that way, God has accomplished by sending his son to die on the cross for us and rise again so that we are forgiven of our sins, given the righteousness of faith. God covers us with the righteousness of Jesus now. And now in that condition, we are a holy temple. He can fill us with the Holy Spirit. Now with rivers of living water, the Spirit of God dwelling in me, I can indeed walk in righteousness. I can walk free of addiction. I can walk free of depression. I can walk free of all this stuff so that my, my, my career, my marriage, my family, my ministry, my life is not ruined by addictive sins and all of this junk. And I can be the man, I can be the woman God's called me to be. Amen? That's, that's the message of Romans 1-8. through It's fabulous. And so I, what I've been doing now is taking practical steps as I know how to say, how do I really do this? Not just theologically know it's true. What steps do I take to be free when tempting thoughts, when addictive uh, impulses, when anger, fear, lust, uh, envy, depression, etc. When that junk comes, what do I do? Not just theologically what do I know is true. What do I do? And that's what we've been talking about. And we're on the sixth step of, as, as I said, a yet-to-be-defined number. You've got Romans there. Turn with me to Romans 13. Now, I have been taking my text out of the first eight chapters, but today I'm, I'm stretching it. I'm going to Romans 13. And now, I could force something into the first eight chapters, but this is the best text to use. 13, verse 12. The night is almost gone, and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. The night he's talking about is the age you're living in right now. This is the night. You're living in the night. You're living in a fallen, sinful era, one that's coming to an end. You can just sense it. You can see it. Things... If things, are, things aren't evolving, they're devolving. They're just kind of, we're just kind of grinding toward the end of it all. But the day is coming, the day when Jesus will return, when he brings in his kingdom of righteousness, 
There'll be a thousand years on this earth of, of his kingdom, and then there'll be a brand new heaven and a brand new earth. The day's coming. So Paul says, lay aside the deeds of the darkness, of this, this fallen sinful era. Don't live after that, but, be, but live according to the day. Put on the, and he says, on the armor, which is protective gear, isn't it? Of what? Of light. Oh, man. So he begins to say, I protect myself with the, the power of the Holy Spirit. You see that? So put aside the deeds of this world and protect yourself. Put upon that armor of the Holy Spirit. Let us behave properly as in the day. In other words, when Jesus is watching, <laughs> when he'll be here, behave the way that now, because he is seeing everything. Not carousing and in drunkenness. Not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality. Not in strife and jealousy. It takes different categories. The, the, the drunken partying and carousing, sexual promiscuity and sensuality, and then strife and jealousy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lusts. Would you read verse 14 with me out loud? But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Let's just pick up that make no provisions. Do that one again. Make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. All right, that's what we're, we're talking today about. How do we do that? Life is not constant. It has its ups and downs. There are hard days and easy days, good seasons and bad seasons, no matter how well we plan or how careful we are to do the right thing, difficult circumstances arrive that shake us and leave us looking for refuge. And even when there aren't difficult circumstances, our bodies seem to have a mind of their own, leaving us depressed, angry, fearful, lustful, etc., for no apparent reason. Have you noticed? I mean, you can wake up some mornings grumpy. In my case, I can wake up some mornings happy. And... and and for no reason. It just seems to be biorhythms. Have you seen that? I mean, just like sometimes we're just, you're tired and dragging, and sometimes you're, and it's just this pulsing stuff as all goes through it. No wonder the Bible speaks so often about the Lord being our refuge in time of trouble. He promises to protect and comfort us when these storms hit. But at the same time, the world always offers its own forms of comfort and presses us when we're weak to find refuge there rather than in God. And as soon as the pain arrives, so do tempting thoughts. You've seen that? This is why I have to plan carefully in order to live in freedom, especially in the culture in which we find ourselves today. We don't have to look for wrong choices. They pursue us at every turn. We're constantly being enticed but it's possible to put up barriers that make tempting options harder to reach. This is what Paul means when he tells us to make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lusts. He's saying, don't place wrong sources of comfort near at hand. When we're weak, their voices will grow strong and draw us away from the Lord. The illustration I want to use to begin with is part of a Passover ceremony. For Israel, they have, and they're, when they're preparing for Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which follows, Passover is the first day of it, and then you've got a week of unleavened bread. 
that what the family goes through is cleansing the leaven. And I give you the text there in, in, in Exodus 12 and 13. They're told to get all the leaven, all of the yeast out of the house. And uh, in, in, in Jewish families, they actually make a, a game of it. And that it'll hide stuff, you know, some chunk of white, horrible bread somewhere. And they'll put it under, the, and, the, and the kids have to go find it and get it out of the house. But the idea is get every speck of, of leaven, of yeast, anything leavened, get it out and clean it. And actually, the Lord says, I want it out of the whole land. I, I don't want anything around. Now, the unleavened bread was, one, a symbol of Israel leaving is, uh, Egypt hurriedly. Remember that? They, they couldn't even leaven their bread. They just grabbed the dough and ran uh, because God released them so suddenly. And they're to remember that. But it also is a symbol of sin. And, and that's why the cleansing. Get, get this leaven, this every trace of sinful stuff, get it out of your home, get it away from your family, get it out of your land. Clean the place. Have not one speck around. By the way, leaven can also be used as a symbol of the kingdom of God. It's used positively and negatively in the Bible. Sometimes it's, it's evil, sometimes it's good. But the point of leaven is that it has a power in itself to grow and expand. So the kingdom of God, Jesus says, like a mustard seed, it's a little seed of all, put it in the garden, it grows to be the biggest tree in the garden. I mean, it has it's power, there's life in the kingdom of God. So you put somebody full of Jesus and you put them in a place, they have an infectious power that touches others. Evil's the same way. You, put, you take evil, you take, you take things that, that have uh, that kind of attachment to them, and you put them somewhere, and they, aren't just, they don't just sit there in a kind of a neutral way. They call to you. There's a power to them. Or evil people spread evil to others. Paul, when he, in 1 Corinthians, will talk about it, and he talks about it in, in, in light of a, of a fellow who was, who was being immoral in, in the church, and he said, why haven't you disciplined him? Why haven't you removed him? Uh, don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Don't you know that this kind of attitude of defiance and immorality spreads? It, it doesn't just sit there. One rotten apple spoils a whole bunch. Don't you see that? Get him out. Discipline him. So I want to take leaven from that view. By analogy, there are certain objects, substances, places, foods, even people who tend to entice me when I'm weak or suffering. We talked about setting your mind. Remember that? When, when the tempting thoughts come, where do I flee? I can flee to, the, to Christ. To the, and I can see him in my mind's eye. And we saw when the temptation comes, here's where I go. But what you don't want to do is be doing this all the time when you're surrounded in an environment of tempting stuff. It, it, when you're weak, those things call. When you're strong, you're fine. You can, you, can, you can have a, a bottle of something. Or you can have various kinds of substances or, or things near at hand. And it's not a problem until you've had the horrible news from the doctor, until someone, the call came and you lost your job, until, until whatever it is that suddenly hits you and knocks you down. And now you're desperately needing comfort. You're needing You're needing help. And now it's, it starts calling to you, right? Have you had, you know what I'm saying, right? If you don't, I'm, I'll make it more clear yet. Um, 
By an, there are certain objects, substances, places, foods, even people who tend to entice me when I'm weak or suffering. What tempts me when I'm tired, lonely, bored, angry, hungry, sad? It can be alcohol, pornography, drugs. Now, I included guns, and I'll, I'll just illustrate that for a minute. You say, guns? What is that? Well, if you've had depression, you know what it is. I had a long season of depression in my, my early, younger life. Um, and I simply could not have a gun in the house. Do I think I would have done something? No, I probably wouldn't. But I can tell you when you're really depressed and you really hurt, and it goes on long enough, you do think about how do I get out of this? You see, mental pain is, I think, worse than physical pain. But it's, it's certainly as bad. You can no more ignore mental pain than you can ignore if I, you slit your arm open and say, well, here, just, you know, be happy. Okay. You've got to do something. It has to have relief. You see it? And then when you can't find it, the thing about people, the reason they get, they get suicidal when they're so depressed is, is not because they don't want to live. It's because they can't bear the pain anymore. It hurts, and they can't stop it. And it hurts really bad. It's an ugly hurt. And so you always process, well, if I were going to do it, what would I do? And you kind of work through what you thought would be the cleanest, easiest way to do this. And for me, I couldn't have a gun. I just couldn't have one. Or I certainly couldn't have any bullets. <laughs> do I think I would have done anything? No. But in those dark moments, that sucker would, I'd know right where it was, and I'd be fighting a pull. You understand? This is, the, this is what I'm trying to get you to see. That when you're strong, not a problem. Nothing wrong with having a gun. But for me it was. Just couldn't have it. Couldn't be there. I've got things like soul tie items, and, and you may not even know what that is. It's a, I did a sermon when I first got here on a Wednesday night, and that thing's still selling like hotcakes. And it's on soul ties. When you have relationships, when you have previous marriages, when you have dating situations where you, you, you formed a soul tie with that person, often we'll have objects in the house. We'll have you know, mementos and gifts and rings and pictures and stuff like that, letters that you have from that person. And you think it's not a problem, it's part of my history. And yet, and you'll find also, sometimes you have a very hard time getting past that person. And moments will come back when you, when you begin to long for them and, and, and they're thinking of them and it pulls. There are objects that need to be gotten out of the house. When you're strong, I guess it's fine, but, but there's moments when you're weak, those things, you, you know just exactly where they are. And this is very true of men and women, by the way. Un, unhealthy food. I mean, just don't have a cheesecake in the refrigerator, for heaven's sakes, you know? <laughs> Money. I, I, know a, I know a fella who had to take his wallet and pull everything out of it. Everything out of it, but the exact cash amount he would have to spend when he went to the, the store. Why? He couldn't trust himself. I mean, if, you, if, you're, if you're about to buy a lotto ticket or about to buy something like that or you're about to, to, to spend it on something else... You just, you just are very, you just put in exactly the amount of what you're going to have to buy when you go to the store, and that's all you carry with you. You see, you plan ahead. 
So when the voice starts calling, it's not there. You, you cleanse every opportunity out. You don't just leave yourself mentally having to handle this constantly. Remember what Paul said. Make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lust. Don't put anything at hand. Now, I want to show you an example of, of somebody doing this really uh, very seriously. First Timothy 5. And I bet you've never heard anybody teach this passage like this. Paul has uh, had pastored uh, the church in Ephesus. That's there in uh, what's now Turkey. He had pastored it for three years, if I recall. And uh, so he, he, he had been its pastor. I mean, he, he had he'd not just passed through. And then when he left, he left his young helpmate, uh, Timothy, in charge. And he, he, there's something very telling here in his first letter. He's writing now to Timothy and giving him instruction. And he says, verse 22, chapter 5, verse 22. Do not lay hands upon anyone too hastily and thereby share the responsibility for the sins of others. And he says, keep yourself free from sin. Now, what he just said is, Timothy, don't set anyone up as an elder or as a deacon in some kind of formal leadership where you lay hands on them and set them apart. That's what he's talking. He's not talking about praying for the healing. He's talking about don't set anyone in leadership without really knowing them. Give it time to discover who they are. Go down two verses. He says there in verse 24, the sins of some men are quite evident. Going before them to judgment. For others, their sins follow after. In other words, some people, it doesn't take you long to know what their sins are. But others have closet sins. They're more hidden. And you have to know them a while before you find out what's going on in the hidden closets of their life. So he says, don't appoint people quickly or you're going to actually share in ju the judgment when they make a mess and damage the church and, every and the Lord's reputation. You share the blame because you set them in that position uh, without being a responsible in, in, your, in your evaluation. Now, he puts in the middle of that a strange verse. Do you see the, next, the one? Verse uh, 23. It's almost like Tim, he's coming right out of left field. Like, what is that? He says, no longer drink water exclusively, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Like, what does that have to do with setting up elders? He had, say, he had said, don't, don't lay hands. Keep yourself free from sin. And then the thought triggers. In ancient culture, you don't have um, fresh, you don't have wells as such unless you dig them. And, and you have running water. And particularly when you have a start having a city like Ephesus, the water system is going to be contaminated. So you've got all kinds of waterborne illness. Well, how did they handle it in ancient times? What they did, it, it was a simple solution. They would take some wine and they would pour the wine just enough into their water. I think it was like about one, one, one part to, to one quarter water or wine, and then three parts, uh, or yeah, water. And if you've ever been in places where the water wasn't good, where you kind of are looking at the bottom of the glass, I have been, where you think, I think it's swimming. Is it moving? <laughs> I think it is. You want to put something in there, I'll tell you. <laughs> Kill that little beast. 
Now, why in the world, what he's just told Timothy, is Timothy, you're not putting any wine in your water. You need to. Because you're getting waterborne illnesses. You're getting digestive problems and, and GI problems. And, and it's, it's, it's hindering your ministry. I want you to go ahead and put the wine in your water. Why would Timothy not? Because you've got alcoholism going on in the church. And so Timothy is modeling for the church absolute abstinence. He will not touch it. He won't even mix it in his water, trying to draw the church away from something that's been very damaging for them. And I would suggest, in the, because of what Paul just said, in the elders and in the leaders, they're drinking, there's alcoholism going on. So Timothy is literally trying to model this principle, saying, Don't it, get, get it away from you. This is, this is damaging the church. It's damaging the representation of Jesus Christ. It's damaging your spiritual life. Get it away from you, and he won't even mix it into his water. I'm going to show you another passage later on that even confirms what I've just said. Taking steps to cleanse the leaven out of my life may be socially awkward because it signals to others that, that I have a problem. In some cases, it will require me to confess to others. You may have to explain to your spouse, friends, fellow employees, etc., what's going on. You're, uh, I, this has happened numerous times. I'll just think of one where I talked to a man at a, at a retreat and, and he said, uh, Pastor, I just need to confess something. He privately took me aside. I've got to confess something. He said, I'm having a problem. I'm, I'm sneaking down in the middle of the night and, and I'm watching pornography on, on cable TV. And I said, well, turn off the cable. You know, get rid of that thing. Um, and he said, I, I can't do that. I said, Why? And he said, I'd have to tell my wife. I mean, she'd know. Okay, so here comes one of the problems. If I'm going to actually put the leaven out of the house, somebody's going to know. They're going to spot what's going on. Would you say this with me? What grows in the dark dies in the light. Yeah. Some of, the, some of these things... If you're going to get it out of reach, if you're going to cleanse the leaven, if you're going to walk purely, in some cases, you're going to have to confess things. And you're going to have to walk in the light. You're going to have to confess it to spouse, maybe to, to a pastor, to a doctor. We have, a, we have a lot of confession going on in our LTGs where, where men, and, men and women with women are, are sharing the struggles of their life. There's, it's one level of confession to say to your brothers, hey, I'm struggling with this. And they go, well, I am too. And, and it's kind of like, yeah. And uh, that's not the kind of confession I'm talking about here. I'm talking about where you, have, you bring it to the light where it'll get you in trouble. Uh, where it, it's not going to continue anymore. I mean, it isn't just a matter of mutual support in, in a difficult thing. But it's the exposing of the thing where, where, where it's going to bring, bring repercussions. People often confess and, and, and ask you to hold them accountable. Uh, there are situations where they say, I want you to hold me accountable to this. But this, in my opinion, is unfair, an unfair burden. I don't think anyone has, I don't think you, I have a right to tell you to hold me accountable. I don't think you have a right to ask me to hold you accountable in a sense. Look, I can't police your life. I'm having enough difficulty with my own, all right? 
And it isn't fair. There's nobody can police you. We can't, we can't constantly be going, well, so what you been doing? I mean, you know, checklist, you know, on you. Because you could just lie to us. Anytime there's an addictive sin going along, there's lying going on anyway, or at least deceptive behavior. It's always part of the game. Always. So you'll just lie one more. So we're stuck in this thing. You're stuck in this thing. It's just not a, it's not a fair thing to do. What we can do is sit with you and pray with you as you confess to the Lord. We can hear your confession, but we can't be your accountability. Ultimately, you have to be the one who's, who's accountable. I want to talk for a second about telling a spouse. He or she needs to be told in a discreet but not in discreet way and not in lurid details. I do believe you need to tell your spouse. And I don't think there should be those kinds of secrets. But when you do it, it needs to be done discreetly and not in lurid detail. Uh, that when, when we have... Some people make it a therapy session for themselves where they just vomit over somebody and tell you all this stuff. We don't want to know that. And your spouse doesn't want to know that. It's, that isn't what's needed there. Go do that with somebody else. But don't do that with your spouse. But they do need to be told, and here's why, in my opinion. One, so that the opportunities are stopped. Once they know, you, you, and, and it opens the door. And what I would suggest is the conversation could go like this. Honey, I, gotta, I, I need to tell you something. I, I've got a problem. And I'm struggling with something. And, and, it, and, I, and I'm, I'm very sorry. I hate this thing. And I want it stopped. And I'm, I'm telling you this. I'm not asking you to hold me accountable. But I am asking for your help. And so I need to turn off the cable for the television. And I'm also going to have to, if you wouldn't mind, there's some channels that I'm going to need you to, what, the lock number. And you know it and I don't want to know it. Okay? Or I, I, do you mind if we don't have that, that, that bottle of, of brandy in the house? Because frankly, you've noticed it's going down. And, and, and I just at night am having one too many. I just, I'm not coping with this. It's not working well for me. Or we've got, we've got your medicines. And um, to be honest with you, we need to put those somewhere. Maybe we get a little safe or, or something so that you, you need them. But I can't use it. I can't have access. You see what I'm saying? Just tell them. Tell them and let, let your spouse partner with you in the healing and in the protection. Let them help protect you in that sense. You've got to get the leaven out of reach. And, they, and there's no way you're going to do it alone. They have to know. There's secondly, so they can pray for you. And they will pray. And thirdly, so that he or she can finally understand the strange things they've been sensing. And the strange ways you've been behaving. It comforts them to know they're not crazy. See, when you get caught in this thing, when one of your, your partner has kind of got something, something, something's going on here, and it, 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 they're not telling you, your heart knows it. You often know things intuitively, but cognitively, you, you're being told the opposite. So your head says one thing, your heart says another, and you're stuck with a real tension. Have you ever been in that place? You knew it in your gut, but, but everything, when you, you're asked or whatever, you were told, no, this isn't true. 
And then when they finally break down and go, I got to tell the truth, I did this. It's not pleasant to hear, but, but your head and your heart finally are like, oh, thank heavens. I thought I was crazy. I just felt like I was insane. I feel these things, but I'm being told it's not there. I mean, there's no, you know, you've decided, whether we're with words or actions, you've deceived me. You really bring tremendous relief to your partner when they finally know the truth. This is why I do what I do. This is why it's going on. They can pray for you. They can, they can, they can partner with you and stand with you and cleansing the leaven and helping you with that. It's part of the process. The gift of pain. When various forms of pain come into my life, doing nothing is not an option. Some source of relief must be found. And please note that mental pain is just as bad as physical pain, as I said earlier. You can no more ignore depression than you can an open wound in your flesh. But pain brings with it a gift. It can drive us to God. It can drive us to worship the Lord, to, worship, to, to be and, and glorify the Lord Jesus. If I refuse the comfort temptation offers, then where else can I turn? Now, here's the important moment. You've got a spot. Pain begins to make temptation rise. This struggle weakens me. But if I allow the pain to drive me to the Lord, then it becomes a, a gift. Let me tell you, it's in, it's in the painful moments. It's in the suffering of our lives. This is where we grow, isn't it? I mean, we don't like those moments. I'm not, in, I'm not encouraging those moments. They just come. You don't have to encourage them. There they are. It's in those moments that we grow. Now listen, if when problems come, if when depression, anger, fear, envy... Uh, you know, whatever it is, this is swirling and churning and I'm, I'm wanting to go have a drink or I'm wanting to take a drug or I'm wanting to turn to this or that or the other thing. All these impressions. If in that moment I yield to medicate my soul with the drug, you immediately stop growing spiritually. This is very serious. I'm, I, I'm not, uh, this isn't a light matter. Instead of going to God in your greatest moment, you go. To the drug. The drug becomes an idol. The drug becomes your source of hope, your source of peace, your source of relief, your source of comfort. It's how you cope. You cope with a bottle and not with the presence of the Holy Spirit as you worship the Lord. Paul says exactly what I'm, I'm saying right now. Go with me to Ephesians 5, verse 18. And Please note which church we're writing to. The church in Ephesus. Same church that Paul spoke to uh, when he talked, uh, that Timothy was pastoring in and making those earlier remarks. Let me say this. God doesn't ask me to ignore my pain and just bite the bullet. He doesn't warn me about the dangers of temptation and not provide me with an even better alternative. He knows I have to find comfort somewhere. We learn to stop using the wrong medication and start using God's medication. Look what Paul says 
at Ephesians 5, verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine. Again, that's the problem. It's certainly in the Ephesian church. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. That wastes everything. It spoils it and just causes it to all be lost. But be what? Filled with the Spirit. Speak, and then he tells you how. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. He says, worship the Lord. Go and worship. Gather and let let the presence of the Lord Jesus be your strength in that moment. Don't turn to the bottle. Worship. Now, some people say, I don't like worship much. Well, you're going to need to get over that. I'm serious. You say, I don't sing well. No, uh, maybe not. And I guess you don't have to sing. Because you can worship without music. But you're going to have to learn to worship. People that have been raised just in religion and denominationalism. You've been in church all your life. Your parents did this. Your grandpa did this. All that kind of stuff. And you know it backwards and forwards. But you've really never broken through into a personal encounter where the power and presence of God really come into your life. I'll tell you, if nothing else, as you get old, it'll show. You watch old people. Everything was cute and nice when you were young and strong and healthy. And then as you get old, the lack of real relationship becomes glaring. And you'll watch people who live their whole life in the church, and as they come toward their death, as they come into those old age, they're, they're usually drinking their way, staying numb because their religion isn't really doing them any good. We have to have, when we talk about this worship, when we talk about the, uh, the, the Holy Spirit coming and strengthening us in our worship, it has to be a genuine, real breakthrough. I mean, have you tasted the presence of God? Have you found him come into your life and lift the depression and lift the fear and take and transform it with faith and with his, speak to your heart and you're different? Yes? That's what we must learn to do consistently. And when the depression comes, when the fear comes, when the envy comes, when those impulses come, we, just be, we worship the Lord and find our peace there. Last place I'm going to take you. Psalm 73. I want you to just hear Asaph. What is one of my favorite psalms. I just love this passage. Listen to what he says. Because he's got it. Here's, here's, a, here's a man who understood. Starting in verse 25, I'll just, Psalm 73. Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, Those who are far from you will perish. You have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. Would you say that? But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell 
of all your works. When the pain comes, when the difficulty comes, when the depression arise, arrives, when all of that, st- whenever that is, I've cleansed my home of the leaven. I don't have options to use these wrong things. And some things, by the way, that are even good, there's nothing wrong with them, but I'm using and coping with them instead of turning to the Lord. But I found refuge in my God. One, one story and I close. My son Andrew made me really proud a number of years ago. He had done that a number of times. He's a fine son. But this one really, really got me. He was in high school and he was playing. I think, he was, I think it was his senior year. I, I, time like that passes me. But I think he was his, possibly a senior. Maybe he was a junior. And he was play, his, his basketball team was playing in the state championship in, in uh, Yakima. They have a sun dome there, you know, and, and they have the, the, the tournaments uh, for that level school. And, and uh, early on, as he, he got there, they were there. We were not there at that point. And uh, he got a call from his girlfriend, whom he cared for very much, and she, she dumped him. Now, I, you know, as a parent, you just think, could we wait till after the state championships? <laughs> But having been young and made, done things that I'm still embarrassed about, I'm not one to throw rocks at anyone. So anyway, this is how it came down. So he's getting this phone call in Yakima that she's leaving him, and, and, and it was a, a hard letdown. And he's really suffering. Now, as a father, what do you think I'm worried about? I'm thinking you're in another city. You're with your high school basketball team. Oh, man. What's, what kind of options might he choose to comfort himself right now? Yeah, uh, Go out and get drunk. You know what he did? Yakima has a, a walkway down. They have the, the river. There's a beautiful river that runs right through it. And there's a walkway. And Andrew went out and went down to the river and just walked and walked and walked and walked. And you know what he did while he walked? He prayed in, th- in tongues. What did Paul just say to do? Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Those are, that's singing in the tongues is what he's talking about. He says, when you're, when you're hurting, Run to Jesus. When you're hurting, find your comfort in him. Pray in the spirit. Read the Psalms. Build your spirit up. Find your medication in him. And I thought to myself, when that young man makes those kinds of choices in those kinds of terrible moments of his life, something solid has been built into him that will cause him to to prosper and go forward. He will not be reined in by these horrible addictions. He will find his whole calling. Do you understand? Cleanse the leaven. Be filled with the Spirit. Would you stand with me? I'd like to ask a question just with some heads bowed, if you wouldn't mind. Just as I'm, as I'm talking about this, I just thought we should not probably uh, leave without... Some of you may say, boy, as I listen to you, Pastor, I, I got some leaven that needs cleansing. Or I need a conversation with a spouse. 
or I, I, I've got to do, I got I to gotta talk to my doctor. Um, I'm misusing the medication and I need, I need help. And I got to walk in the light here. And you just know there's a decision. There's something you need to do and that you're going to have to find at a deeper level, at a new level, the power of Jesus Christ. You just got to find his grace and his love there. You've got to find it. Anyone want to raise your hand and say, Pastor, today, I, I, got, I got one of those. I got to do some leaven cleansing. I got a step I need to take. Just lift your hand before the Lord. We're going to pray. You just need to acknowledge it. You can make that, sort of settle that decision. Yes. Praise the Lord. Yes. Father, see our hands. See our hands right now. We, we pray for our brother, for our sister. Strength and wisdom to you. May the Lord show you the way. May the Lord show you how and when. May the Lord give you great wisdom, not just some impulse or reaction. May he guide you in this. May the Lord help you be free of this thing. And then may the Lord meet you so that his presence is your good. May you find through your pain, may it press you to to love him more, to draw close to him, and to find in him that strength, that comfort that you need so badly. We just pray for God to do a mighty work for you and bless you in this. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.